Back in the 70s, board games and improv theater had a baby, and it was called the role-playing game. These games allowed a generation of kids to live out their dreams of slaying dragons and saving kingdoms, all while sitting in their bedrooms and basements. Today, gaming has moved into the cultural mainstream, and role-playing games are back with a vengeance. Join us now as five of these former kids come out of the basement and onto the internet to experience adventure, mystery, and obscure pop culture references. It's time for Roll for Combat. Hey there, welcome to Roll for Combat. I'm your GM and host, Stephen Glicker, and in this week's show, the boys start investigating their new assignment from their Yoxian contact. Plus, I have part two of my interview with Eric Mona, publisher of Paizo. We talk a lot about his time when he was editor-in-chief of Dungeon and Dragon magazine, and we talk about some of the adventures he created. We also talk about my favorite adventure path of all time. We geek out big time on this. I love this adventure path, and you can listen to what we geek out about in a little while. So one thing I totally forgot about was last week, the guys leveled up. So everyone is now level two, and that actually occurred at the beginning of last week's episode. We do the leveling off air because it's kind of boring to go through everything. I'll probably have a recap in the future instead of like what they chose and how they changed their characters so that you're aware of it. I did kind of forget about that because we did that off air. But one thing I do is I actually have them level up when I tell them it's time to level up. And there's kind of two ways to do leveling up. Either you do the old old way, which you had experience points, and then as you get the experience points, you level up. Or you have sort of the new way, which a lot of people do, is that the GM tells you when to level up, and they do it at sort of specific times or events like for example we just had the big boss battle they're about to start another part of the adventure so i had them all level up now one thing is interesting is that the adventure was originally written that they should in theory level up during a very large action sequence but i have it that they have to rest 24 hours to level up there's a lot of reasons for this if you try to have people level up in between a day like while they're still doing things If they're getting new spells or abilities, it gets very complex. And I don't also like to reset them, because then they get like everything twice in one day. So I just like a nice clean break. I have it that level one, first day, you go to sleep, you wake up, you're level two. Everything gets reset. It's the easier way to do it. Uh, I've never done it really any other way, because every other way is a total mess. So the problem was the adventure had it that they were in the middle of all this conflict, and they were going to level up in the middle, which didn't make any sense because there wasn't any break. So I felt that felt incredibly unfair for them. So I actually just made it earlier. And just in case they thought I was cheating, I actually went through and did all the experience points. And they made it exactly to the number of having experience points they needed to get to level 2. Something else about Starfinder is it actually uses the fast experience point track which was an option in Pathfinder. Not everyone used it, it was actually pretty rare. So you level up a lot faster in Starfinder than you do in Pathfinder. What that means is you actually just need to have less encounters to level up. I think they did that on purpose 
because D&D 5th edition, now leveling up, especially levels 1 through 5, is lightning fast. You can level up 1 through 5 in just a couple of sessions. In Pathfinder, you can go 50 sessions before you go from level 1 to level 5. Well, we do one two-hour session, so for us it could be 50 sessions. But you get the idea. It could just take forever. So I think they wanted to make it faster, but it does slow down. It's really the lower levels and where you really need some kind of accelerated leveling. And also, I control the leveling anyhow, so it all evens out in the end. Something else I wanted to mention, a lot of people wrote me asking what the heck Bleeding Encounters means, because it came up a few weeks ago, and it seemed like five or six people wrote me, and they said they had no idea what that term meant. And if that's many people wrote me, that means a lot of other people never heard that term. I'm kind of surprised, because I've used it a lot, I've heard it a lot, Maybe it's just a gaming term that is around for old school gamers. I'm not sure. Well, bleed encounters basically means if you have two encounters, the way Dungeons and Dragons and Pathfinder and Starfinder is written, you have encounters. And each encounter is usually balanced to be challenging for the party, either a little easy, just right, or a little hard. If you take two encounters and bleed them into each other, that's called bleeding encounters. That's actually taking two encounters that you now make into one encounter and they're bled into each other and now it's become way harder. This is something you don't want to do. This is something you strongly should not do unless you're suicidal and want to die. Of course, the guys in Roll for Combat will be bleeding encounters all the time because they're insane. I actually ran the Emerald Spire for them and once... They started on a level, and this is like a, a super dungeon where it's every level's completely different, and it's just like one level after another, like one level's all dark, one level's all water, one level's all lava, and so forth. It was one level, it was just like this thieves lair. They just ran through the lair and killed every single person in the lair in one combat. They just went from one encounter to another to another to another. And it wasn't easy, but they had a lot of AoE spells, so they were able to kill these guys pretty quickly. That's called Bleeding Encounters. You're going to hear us say that a lot, and these guys will do that. I don't know why they do it. I think it's fun for them. They're also kind of in the mode of fighting, and they'd rather just keep going and keep fighting than rather stop. Also, it really helps when you have spells that only last like a minute or two. They'll keep bleeding encounters so they can keep their spells up and keep any of their buffs up longer. So rather than using a buff, having one encounter, and then it disappears, they'll often cast the buff and then just go three or four encounters, one right after another, bleeding them like left and right, just so that they can keep all their buffs up. I strongly recommend you don't do this with your own party unless you're really good at combat, you really know what you're doing. These guys are nuts. I've seen them bleed encounters. They once bled encounter on a stairwell. Not even a stairwell, it was a, it was a uh, ladder. They were on a ladder. They bled the encounters above and below the ladders. And I don't even know how they lived through that. It was insane. They were fighting on a ladder, things above them, gelatinous cubes below them. It was bizarre. And they're getting shot at. They're just nuts. But they, they usually somehow managed to sneak through uh, usually a lot of people fall, and they might need a raise dead or two, but they usually survive. Also, by the way, later there's going to be a joke you hear about Chris about selling food. FYI, Chris actually sells food for a living, so when you hear some of those jokes, now you're in on those jokes. 
Finally, we have the big $1,000 podcast giveaway. This is it, guys. This is the last week. All you got to do is review the show on iTunes, Stitcher, or Facebook and write us an email, and that's it. You're entered. Next week, I'm going to be announcing prizes for about $500 of Amazon gift cards, free t-shirts, and everyone who enters is going to get a free prize. So this is it. This is your last week to enter. So if you've been holding off, you got to do it now because it's now or never. Also, if you can tell your friends about the podcast, I'd really appreciate it. Those who are listening, we're getting great feedback. I usually learn about podcasts from my friends. So if you guys have any friends in your gaming groups, please pass them along. We're also going to be expanding the site in a little while and doing some pretty cool things after this contest in December. We're going to be doing something really neat. Do check it out. Obviously, check us out on Discord. Once again, we're on there chatting all the time. I also post all the images from the show so you can see everything the boys are fighting. You could also talk to us on Facebook. You talk to us on Twitter, all the standard channels. Also, don't forget to check out our Patreon. We're putting up some really cool content you can't find anywhere else on Patreon and only Patreon. And I'm going to start expanding that very shortly. We actually have some really cool images and pictures that are created just for the Patreon users that aren't going anywhere else. And I'm getting some really cool custom items made that people have been asking for. So that's going to be going up shortly on the Patreon. So with that, feel free to write us any questions or comments you might have. Otherwise, enjoy the show. You met with Mr. Noir. Yeah, he has given you a little job where you will investigate the Drift Rock and the Acheron and find out what happened to the crew. And there's also a dispute between Hard Scrabble and Astral Extractions. And you will be leaving early tomorrow morning. You gave you the coordinates of the ship you're going to be taking. And he got you some clearance to go and investigate as you're an official member of his delegation. And there's also a little floating camera behind you that you have n- don't need to mind that is recording all of your actions at all times and broadcasting it back to him. That's not creepy at all. Jason McDonald is playing the Soki mechanic Tuttle Blacktail and his drone, Cheddar. Well, he's also undead. Bob Marquis is playing the human envoy, Rusty Carter. What is the name of the vessel again? John Statz is playing the Vesk soldier, Mo Dupinski. The one that you're taking is the hippocampus, oh, and the one okay. you're investigating is the Acheron. Okay, the one we're investigating has the better name. Can we swap those two? Uh, hippocampus is cool. Eh, well, it, people will call it the hippo for short. The hippo works! The hippo! No, no, yeah. I, Hey, you're gonna come attack me with that hippo? No. There's a hippo in the city. Hey now, hey now, there's a hippo in the city. All right. I was gonna go with the hungry, <laughs> yes. hungry hippos reference. Oh, there hungry. you go. See, this is the problem. It's a good name. Uh, I am. Oh, so are we adjourned with the meeting with Mr. Noor? Yes, you're adjourned with the meeting, and you have a day to prepare. And also, if you want to find out anything about these sides. You are there just to really report and give an accurate representation of what happened and he will decide who will get what. And also, if you remember, he gave you that little side detail in which he was trying to, you, he had a package on board that you, he wanted you to secure for him. And he would give you an extra 500 credits each, if you remember. 
correct. Except Hiroshi was happy with 300, so... Well, 300 for Hiroshi, yeah, and everyone else will that. get 500. Right. No, I, I get 700. Chris Beamer is playing the Lashunta operative Hiroji. Uh, no. You break the deal. Um, Spin a wheel. Yeah. I'm going to head straight to the hippo. That's that's what uh, Mo, Mo wants to do. Do we need to suit up? We have all our stuff. We're good well, to go. Well, you don't have to go. You're, you're, you're not leaving till tomorrow morning. You have a full day. That's correct, but I want to uh, scout the uh, premises. Uh, okay, good idea. Usually, you get a berth early, and you can. The, I like to sleep, at least. Uh, like all my scuba diving trips, you get on the boat, uh, you know, overnight early. You sleep, then the boat goes out in the morning. So I'm gonna. Uh, Mo is gonna uh, go out to the uh, the hippo to check it out, learn learn its uh, ups and downs. Cool. The hippo is probably about a good 40 minutes from the center of station. Is anyone else? What are you guys going to do? Actually, check checking out the ship sounds like a good idea. I'll do that too. I'm just going to make sure I have all my gear ready to go. Like our, our armor, I don't know if everyone has armor that counts as a spacesuit, but I do. Oh, I do too. So you may want to note that. Wow. Well, do you guys wear armor? Yeah, everyone who has armor gets that, I think. Yeah, I think that's right. But do 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 our other two friends have armor? Uh, I have armor, but I have no plans whatsoever to step outside. I have the second skin, I believe. Yeah, second skin. I think will will work it. But that works. Yeah, I know. I have no plans for that either. But sometimes plans change. One thing you do know is the ship somehow lost its crew, and you don't know the state of it. And for all you know, it could be open to space. For all you know, and the asteroid. Well, you know nothing about the rock. Oh, we're talking about the Archeron right now. Yeah, the Archeron. Okay, the Acheron, not the hippo. <laughs> the hippo is a normal ship, but when okay. you go investigate, the ship you're investigating could be in any shape. You have no oh. idea. It's a I thought you, thought you were giving us an update on the hippo once we got there. It's oh, like, no, whoa! No, no, no. <laughs> you're going to be flying outside the hippo. You're going to be like a bar- barnstormer and just holding on. So my second laser pistol I have in a shoulder holster. My other one's on my hip. I got my grenades. Got all my backup batteries. I think you put it all on my character sheet. Yeah, you guys have everything. I put everything on your sheets. And I'm more or less ready. Okay. So as you guys are traveling out, sure enough, just as you expected, as you walk out of this horrible, depressing building that smells and reeks of death, literally, you get a call on your headsets, all of you. It's actually email invitations to attend a private meeting at the corporate headquarters on the Blue Rise Tower with Astral Extractions as they wish to meet with you. Ah, uh, you, did, guys, you did say both parties would probably be in contact with us. So true, uh, guys. I've been invited to a, an exclusive thing, so um, I gotta head out. You guys just can wait here. <laughs> yeah, we'll be with you. Yeah. Uh, sorry? What? We're going to be in attendance as well. Oh. It's not so ex- exclusive. Yeah, it's probably not a good party then. Um, I don't know if you guys would enjoy it. I'm con- I'm confident that we're going to get some more quests, I think. Um, I think we double dip on this. So do you think we're going to get the other quest? Like we get to turn in to one of the quest givers? Yeah, this is, this is going to be one of those crisscross deals where we play one side against the other and, you know end up the last man standing i'm 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 i i think this could be due yeah this 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 is doable so far we hate astral extractions though right yeah they yeah they don't yeah it could be a trap 
They did seem to be behind the death of Creel and all that stuff. So yeah, we're but we're not trusting them. This is an invitation, though. You know, it's. I'm okay. sensing a uh, Baxter's on one side and the Rojas on the other side, and us in the middle. That's what I'm sensing. What if they all pay us to do the same job? Well, that's what I'm saying. Like, play one side against the other. Yeah, I'm. Yeah. I'm, I'm agreeing. Go. We in the middle, like fistful of dollars. Yep. All right. Uh, yeah. Let's uh, let's let's go there. Let's hear what they have to say. I mean, I'm a little troubled that it could be a bit of a trap because we have sort of wiped out the gang that they were paying. But uh, I'm open. They don't to... know that. They don't know that. They don't know well, that. They, they might know something. I mean, if they know who we are, inviting us to something. Why would Mister North think that Astral Extraction was going to contact us? Because they're the two parties to the dispute, and they both want to kind of meet us and make their case or whatever before we oh, go out there. I think. Right, but how would they know about us? Nobody uh, knows about us. Yeah, that's the problem. Is I don't want to call it the hippo. Is the campus like now like um, on a flight path to Archeron, so it's public knowledge that we are going there? No, but it was expressed to you, I believe, last time that Noor said that he was either going to inform both sides that he was going to have a neutral third party investigate. It just happens that he chose you, which maybe he did that because he has a sick sense of humor and he knows what happened between you and them. Or maybe who knows, but he decided that you guys should investigate. And of course, you guys are right in the middle of everything. So, And you're Starfinders. Well, we are Starfinders. I, I, I'm game to... Uh to see what they have to say. When you when you said six cents of humor, I immediately went to the uh, Susie from Curb Your Enthusiasm. You sick son of a bitch. <laughs> he did inform, like, they are aware that they're third party, and obviously these two sides have fairly big connections, so they were able to track it down fairly quickly that you were the one, or he, they could have even just called Starfinder Society. It's, they don't, you know, they're not, a, they're not um, an espionage organization. You know, they're explorers, so... They will keep things secret, but they're not, like, you know, super secretive. So who knows? There could be a lot of ways. You can ask them when you get there. And Starfinders say yes. All I know is they have deep pockets. And that's yeah, it. that's where yeah, I'm at. So let's the go pockets. there. Yeah, let's go to where the deep pockets are. Okay. So the Blue Rise Tower is actually in the nicest part of town, which is near here. So it's actually a very quick jaunt over. It is, a, of course, a beautiful, very impressive office building. You go into the building. Once again, it looks like oh, you're starting to get a hang of this. There's a lot of office buildings. Seems like a lot of paperwork's being done on the station. So this one is quite impressive. You can see Astral Extractions is flaunting their money and power. There's like pictures in the lobby of gigantic spaceships, part of their armada. All the things they've been, you know, extracting, all the planets that they, you know, get minerals and rare items from. And, uh, yeah, it's it's very impressive as you walk in. Roll for collating. <laughs> <laughs> uh, yeah, let's go in. So you walk in, and as soon as you walk in, as of magic, the secretary greets you all by name. And is like, oh, hello there, Mr. Blacktail, Mr. Hiroji, Mr. Dupinski, and Mr. Carter, and your friend Chetter, version two, I believe. I didn't go. I didn't go get an advanced degree so you could call me Mr. Blacktail. I mean, <laughs> 
Oh, my apologies. <laughs> You're absolutely right. Dr. Blacktail. Much, much better. <laughs> the woman actually seems nervous. It seems like there's going to be demerit on her on her uh, report, and she actually might be demoted for that one small mistake, and that could have just been her career. So good, good job. Sorry. She quickly ushers you into a back room, a very nice conference room. What What is her name? Well, she, let's just say she gives us her name. Well, the the secretary. Hey, she's a person. Yes, she is a person. Okay, I'd like to know her name. Susie Q. Okay, Susie Q. I'm going to remember where she's sitting because I might use that. We might pump her for information uh, afterwards. Okay, that's fine. So you are brought into a very nice conference room, and in there you see a corporate professional. She is a Lashunta, very tall. Mm quite beautiful and she greets you warmly her name is miss josh and she asks you to please sit down and she would like to give you a better sense of astral extraction's corporate philosophy and how it informs the company's business dealings can you read us the mission statement oh yeah here comes a powerpoint presentation do i have to buy a timeshare astral extractions and you <laughs> There's, of course, very nice and very fancy snacks on the table. Quite expensive. There's drinks. It's quite a spread that's been let out, laid out for you. Oh, partaking, partaking. And in fact, she even presses a little button and a door opens. A waiter comes in with a little, a little towel over his arm and he asks if anyone would like something from the bar. Uh, scotch, neat. He says... Yes, right away, Mr. Carter. I would like a double warp core breach. Of course, Hiroji. So, yes, he goes around, takes your drink orders, however you wish, makes a note of them all in his head, and uh, says, I'll be right back with all of your beverages. Okay, now, can any of us who know anything about, like, the local culture possibly know anything about this person who could that we could telepathically share it amongst ourselves? Hmm. What do you mean? Like who has knowledge culture? Is she famous? I was that was way too subtle. I was confusing you. I'm sorry. No, not me. I am I'm uncultured. Knowledge of culture about what? About her? She is an executive for a major corporation in the area we are. Maybe you've heard of her. Right, I got a plus five in culture. I Tuttle will give it a try to see if he's ever heard of this person before. Cool. You've never heard of her. 22. 22 of Tuttle and Hiroji of an 8. Neither so she's like mid-level. We're not going to This know is a now. huge organization, and she's definitely not someone of import. You can probably look her up afterwards on Facebook and see if you know anything <laughs> about she's her. The, she's the assistant to the regional <laughs> manager. Right. No, no, she's one of 600 vice presidents they have. She's 7 of 9 of tertiary adjunct to Unimatrix. <laughs> As you expected, the drinks come. She says, let's begin. She turns down the lights, and she starts with a slickly produced marketing presentation that highlights Astral Extraction's efforts in discovering, developing, and managing much-needed natural resources from across the galaxy and selling them to the pack worlds. After watching this presentation for a few minutes, you can realize that this is all very fluffy marketing material for investors and the public, and there's really nothing here that's of any import. 
know, we'd like to talk about the pyramid of symbiosis. <laughs> Life cycle of products that spread throughout the galaxy. Well, Mo doesn't have a particularly high uh, intel. <clears throat> excuse me, intelligence, but he's beginning to realize that astral extractions is probably a, a very important place and uh, probably one of the best buddies we'll have a we'll ever have you know if we take care of them they're going to take care of us so he's all ears <laughs> he's getting talked by it so wait a minute did you just fall for the pyramid scheme here in the meeting oh good lord shh, shh. they're not done so of course the 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 presentation continues to go through about all the resources, how they go to the most dangerous and remote parts of the galaxy to bring back much needed resources for the pack worlds and all the creatures and cultures, and they show pictures of families and orphans and puppies, and then at the end they go about their mission statement of how they're always giving back to the community and building shelters, and you, you get the gist. They're really, you know, upselling you and how amazing and how important they are and how they are really good for all of the pack worlds. Okay, we get it. Viridian Dynamics cares about people, but okay. I actually have to ask her at this point. I'm like, well, um, thank you very much for inviting me to watch this. I'm curious if you have any information that I couldn't watch on a commercial or an advertisement or a bulletin board, not to be rude. Well, Mo's going to give Rusty a dirty look as if he's just dismissing all what we've learned about these families and puppies and good people that depend on astral extraction. So. That puppy would eat you in a moment if you got in its way. Well, what my comrade means is, uh, you surely must have brought us here to uh, tell us something other than a sales pitch. She says, of course, of course. We're just giving you the background because some people get the wrong idea about astral extractions. They think that we're a heartless organization that is just trying to mine the galaxy for nothing other than profit, when that could be nothing but further from the truth. We are, in fact, a philanthropic organization yes. trying to help out everyone yes. within the pack worlds. Exactly. Sense motive. Talk about crazy rumors. I heard a rumor that you guys hire street gags to kill people. <laughs> oh, once again, crazy rumors spread by our adversaries. Never would Astral Extractions ever do anything like that. Uh, Hiroji just rolled a 18 for sense motive. I did. She compl you completely, she completely believes what she's saying. Okay. So if there's okay. anything nefarious, she is, she's not She's a pawn. Exactly. I think technically a shill. A shill, yeah, exactly. Company woman. With that, she goes on to explain how she understands that you've been hired by Mr. Noor to check out the hmm, the Acheron and the Drift Rock. And she wanted to explain their side of the story, let you know what really transpired and what is going on. By all means. Oh, yeah, definitely. Do tell. Does, does she have another PowerPoint for this? Well, Boy, we don't even need to go on the hippo now. She goes on to explain how the noble services that Astral Extractions provides for companies and citizens throughout the pack worlds. She recounts details of the company's contract with Hardscrabble Collective. Namely, that the Acheron was hired to prospect for unclaimed, unexploited mineral resources on behalf of Astral Extractions which would then hold all rights and claims to those discoveries. 
she goes on to explain that Astral Extractions simply wants what their contract gives them rights to. The Acheron found a Drift Rock, which is an unclaimed, unexplored mineral resource as defined in the contract while working for Astral Extractions. So the rights to that asteroid belong to us. Why does the hard scrabble, is that what they're called? The union? Um, yes. Why, what, why do they feel like it's they have the rights? You're going to have to talk to them. But from what I understand, they're obviously lawless. They, no, we hired hard scrabble. They're an excellent organization that has a wide variety of ships and resources. We have to scour so many parts of the galaxy that we can't do it all on our own so we will hire many subcontractors hard scrabble was one of them and we hired them to prospect for unclaimed unexploited mineral resources on our behalf and then we would go and get all rights and all claims to those discoveries they found and towed back an asteroid they're claiming that that was not part of the contract, that they would only find and give back coordinates of what they found, but salvage rights belong to them. We feel that that's incorrect, and it's part of the contract that we also get the rock. Well, this all sounds awful. I think it's terrible these people are being mean to you, but I'm a little confused why you invited us here, and that this seems to be a simple, civil, legal matter. Well, we're simply asking you to carefully consider the merits of Astral Extraction's claim and keep your mind open while investigating the ship and the asteroids. The Astral Extractions will, of course, accept the results of Ambassador Noor's mediation. But, you know, the company is always interested in hiring competent freelancers for a variety of tasks. You know, you could find quite lucrative opportunities in the future if they're finding support Astral Extraction's claims. Now you're talking our language. Now you're talking. The preamble was actually, fine. Tuttle, Tuttle's language was the contracts and the property rights. He's actually starting to be swayed by the... Yeah, it sounds like you made a pretty legitimate claim. I'm, I'm going to keep my, my uh, mind open to that. Well, I'm standing with the puppies and the families that depend on your, your, your resources, so you don't have to sell me any further. How much is this going to pay? <laughs> Oh, again, we can't give you any money because that would be in violation of the mediation process. I believe Nor hired you directly. We're simply here just to present our side of the story so that you get an informed view of what you're investigating. And you did a fantastic job. Yes, I'm very impressed with your presentation and with your demeanor. Obviously, uh, is there a way I could contact your boss to tell him how pleased I was with, with this entire meeting? Of course. Here, I'll give you a web address where you can fill out a form and it'll go right to him. Excellent. Well, is there anything else? Uh, yeah. Are there any pastries or donuts on the table? The best money can buy. Okay. Okay. Krispy uh, Kreme. I'm get, uh, yeah, I'm getting a few. Uh, I'm getting a few. They're, they're kind of in my pocket. I have my room. She in my sees room. you going for them. She's like, please, please take the plate. Take all of it. This is for oh, you. Good, and good. it's just going to go to the office workers if you don't eat it. Take as much as you want. She she doesn't she does know I have cheek pouches, right? I can get, ah, a, I can get an awful lot of donuts in there. <laughs> yeah, I'm just getting them before the rat gets them. That's all I'm getting them for. <laughs> she, in fact, goes over and gets a little uh, tray that you could attach to uh, Cheddar and actually bring him out and like he can be like a serving robot. Finally, mm, that's finally, degrading, that's degrading. 
Yes. No, it's it's the the ultimate stage of cheddar. We've, he's finally reached his max. Nice. Congrats. <laughs> well, I, I love that Astral Excavations was planning on thousands of credits of bribes, but then they realized apparently we're all Homer Simpson donuts. <laughs> and they can buy us off with a few donuts. Perhaps oh. I can interest you with a jelly donut. Mm. Yeah, we had the we had the 10,000 credit credit stick ready to go, but they're going for the donuts. All right. <laughs> <laughs> well, uh, is there anything else? Because we would like to uh, get ready for our trip. Uh, no, no. Again, if you have any questions, feel free to contact me. Well, is there a representative from the Scrabble people? These Scrabble, Scrabble. brains. Yes, we, we do have. We do have to be fair and hear both sides. We right. do have yeah. contacts like those. We do have. We do know who those people are, right? Because we did. Those are the people that sort of sent us out to that club, right? Uh, not officially. The we the level twenty one crew is l- sort of linked with the hard scrabble people but they're not directly the hard scrabble yeah, we, I don't recall did we talk to the level 21 crew after we did our rampage uh, just so you know Mo no. I hear that hard scrabble at their meetings they have chocolate croissants well, that's, mm. so I'm taking these it's it's a taste test Cronut. comparison I think Ooh. the taste buds will tell which way we which way we lean on this all right, fair decision making. I, I feel great. like we, we need to talk to the to the uh, twenty one uh, gang. Out of character, isn't there like anything like ex parte communication? Is this actually even legit? <laughs> I'm not asking her that. I it's just kind of strange. You, don't know nothing. you, you knows nothing. would know from Tuttle himself would not know. Cheddar probably want to know. Um, Hirojimo or Rusty, you actually don't know. However, the one thing you do know is that Mr. Nor did say that they were going to reach out to you. So, as long as they're not outright bribing you, which they really haven't been doing, this seems okay. That's what I'm saying. That's what I was kind of thinking. As if Nor said it was okay, Nor said it was okay to talk to them. So okay, but it's a little bit weird. Well, these jelly donuts and everything. I mean, come on. That's there is a there is a quid pro quo though. Yeah, yeah I mean, there is an understanding between you know. Is that quid pro cronut? <laughs> exactly. Quid pro cronut. All right. So very very good. I say we we move on then. Thank you for your hospitality, and we will be on our way. Excellent, excellent. She says she you know helps you with the taking the donuts and other snacks. You have your drinks. Uh, yeah, I don't, I don't bother with that. That's beneath me. Oh, okay. She also gives you uh, corporate brochures that go oh. through the, you oh, know, they're beautiful, full-color corporate brochures that go through all the beautiful, wonderful, happy things that Astral Attractions does for everyone in the pack worlds. They remind me of the company called Slusho. Still has a website. Slusho. Yo-Yo Dine Propulsion Systems, a subsidiary of Astral Extraction. Clamp Industries, maybe? From uh, Cloverfield. Oh, is that what that is? Okay, yeah. All right, well, we're... The company was called something else, then. So you leave, um, you get escorted out, and lo and behold, as you're leaving, within minutes... You get a an email to meet with Hardscrabble. One of its members, Ulta Ceresi, invites you to visit him on his ship, the Dust Runner, out in the Armada. And he gives you instructions on how you can take a shuttle to his ship. 
Now, Mo, I do have a question. What if Hard Scrabble turns out to be guys' guys? Instead of like pastries, they've got a keg of beer and all you can drink. I mean, where are your loyalties going to lie here? Uh, calories is going to figure into it, I think. Bacon wrapped um, shrimp, maybe? Right. It's, How about just bacon? These are ribs. Guys, guys. Oh, what if they well, got ribs? It's, it's donuts versus, you know, uh, bar food. So we'll, we'll have to see. All right. At any rate, I think we're ready for this meeting. Yeah. Are we going to a spaceship? That might be a little dubious. I'm, I'm a little, I'm a little wary of that. That's, that's kind of. I don't know. Well, but the flip side is these guys are like, these guys like are miners. They they do their business on their ships. They may not have like a headquarters like the astral extractions people do. Yeah, that's true. Uh, I just think that we could be Shanghaied into service if we go on their ship. So, wait, you actually think that that we're actually going to be in a press gang? We're going to become <laughs> part of the British Navy uh, yeah. at the end uh, of yeah. this? <laughs> it could be. Could be. I go to the store and buy a uh, crate of lemons just to to ward off scurvy. Yeah, that's <laughs> just a safety. A limey, a limey. Yeah. Uh, all right. Well, yeah, I'll swing with the rest of them. I'll go out there. I mean, we are the arbitrators or the you know the kind of the investigators for their claims. They probably have no real motivation to harm us. I would think. Maybe that's a naive statement, though. Okay. So you head over to the shuttle area, which they explain where you would meet. And sure enough, there's a shuttle waiting for you. It's basically a space Uber that will just take you to uh, the ship. The ship is the Dust Runner. You get on the shuttle. Dust Runner is a much better name than Hippocampus. You can rename it if you want while you're on it. I always go classical. All right, sorry. So they're in the Armada, so it's really a quick 10-minute trip. It doesn't take that long. You look out the window, and the Dust Runner, you can tell, is a working tramp freighter. It's practical. It's utilitarian. It seems to have little way of luxury or even comfort. This is definitely a working man's ship. I'm looking out for the beer ads. Yep. You board the Dust Runner, and sure enough, this is quite a dirty, heavily used mining ship. You can tell right away. You are met by a very, very dirty miner. Rusty can't be happy in this environment. The Hard Scrabble Collective and you. Rusty gets along with a lot of people. That's fine. He's, he's a regular guy, just like, well, okay, you're an alien, but he's a regular guy. I mean, You don't mind the dirt? In the He's a regular racist guy. I am not at all a racist. I like all decent people. So yes, you go onto this tramp freighter. There's like a dirty dwarf miner who just literally comes up to you and says, "Hey, hey, yeah, well, um, follow me." And he's just sort of leading you through this this steamer. It's quite filled with dirt and grime and How dust. Nice. What a nice ship. Really nasty. Very heavily used. You sit down in the galley with a red humanoid. He's red-skinned. Rusty. I telepathically communicate with Rusty. Say, what race is that? Not one of us. Cerisi. Uh, Yeah. Does anyone have a uh, culture? uh, We would know, I'm guessing, right? It's a packed world race, probably, right? That's true. Well, actually, I don't recognize it. Um, yeah, sorry. He's a red-skinned human from Akaton. He meets you, 
and he just sort of is this gruff, large, red-skinned human, and he just sort of is like, oh, I'm glad you guys met with me. Please sit down. He's like, anyone want some uh, coffee? And you can see he's handing out like black coffee, and that's oh, about it. Definitely, definitely. I've got donuts here, so coffee's perfect. Yeah. Uh, says, ah, here's some hot black coffee to go with your donuts. Oh, good. Do you have any other refreshments? Uh, I ask him, using the Ecotonian language, if he has a good shot of whiskey I can throw into the uh, coffee. He looks at you and says, <laughs> but of course, and he pulls out a flask like out of one of his pockets and hands it over to you. And I laugh in Ecotonian still, so the others don't know I'm laughing. Wait, no, that's just a laugh. Wait, I speak Ecotonian. Actually, I don't. <laughs> <laughs> He sits down with you in the galley over the cups of hat, black coffee, and donuts. And he goes on to explain to you that I wanted to meet with you and explain to you that this Acheron is no mere tool of astral extractions and explain our side of the story. I presume you've met with them already. Yes. Yes, we did. We just came from there, actually. Yes. Oh, yes, and I'm sure they wowed you with food and beverages and slick presentations and showed you how wonderful they are and how amazing they are and how they're the, they're the beautiful flower of the galaxy. Without them, nothing would, nothing would live. Everything would shrivel up and die, right? It's yeah, true. Yes, it's it. true. We learned that, yes. Well, I could tell you right now, the collective members, we ain't rich. Most of us scratch out whatever meager livings we can from the rocks of the diaspora. And occasionally we get a corporate contract, like the Acheron contract with Astral Extractions. A contract like that was a luxury we really couldn't refuse. We don't get that type of work very often. We value our independence and freedom greatly. And it's a constant struggle against exploitation and even takeovers from the hands of would-be corporate overlords. We value our freedom very highly. I feel like we need Sam Elliott to give this speech. We're working, man. <laughs> yeah, definitely. Get up in the morning, drink black coffee, and do our, do our job. So, yes, we were hired, and the Acheron was hired to find information of new mining worlds and areas for the hard scrabble, but... We staked our own claim under Drift Rock, believing that the terms of the contract allowed us to do so. We really are a little surprised at Astral Extraction's attempts to lay sole claim to the Acheron and the Drift Rock, following mysterious circumstances and the arrival of Absalon Station. We call ourselves a clan and we mean it. Once you're in it, you're family. You're family for life. Remember, as we look out for each other, we defend each other, we take care of each other. We don't know what value, if any, of the Drift Rock might have, but we know the worth of our brothers and sisters of the Acheron, and we need to know what happened as they paid their life for that rock. Therefore, we feel it's our right to own whatever is on that rock. After all, we're going to give off all the maps and all the information that we discovered when we were scouting for astral extractions. We don't dispute that. They're going to have access to hundreds, if not thousands, of worlds and billions and trillions of credits worth of mineral rights. What's one little rock to this huge corporation? That seems to be the rub, now, isn't it? There must yeah. be something up with that rock. Yeah, yeah. Oh, and speaking of which, actually, we would love to get a hold of those maps of the rock that you were talking about. Oh, yes. 
oh, we don't have maps of the rocks. We only have maps of the files and findings from the ship's prospecting mission. We'll hand all that over to the company. But the ship and the claim its crew staked on the drift rock belong to the collective. Hmm. Oh, so you have a map of the Akron ship itself. Great. We'd love that. No, he's talking about maps of, like, their job was they were hired by um, by them to go out and, and find different places where there's minerals to be mined. And they made maps of that, maps of areas of space where there's good stuff to mine. And they're going to hand that over. But, like, the ship and the thing in it, they, they claim it's their own, especially since people Which die. I'm saying they have records of the Akron. Yes, yes. We do have records of the Acheron, and I'll be happy to provide you a map of the Acheron when you do your investigation. The rock, we know nothing about it. But since we consider the worst has happened and everyone has died, perhaps whatever wealth the Drift Rock holds can help ease the loss of the families left behind. There was two dozen members on the Acheron when they disappeared. If they're all dead, someone needs to take care of their families. Whatever wealth we find on that rock will hopefully more than make up for it. But you don't have any presentation to show us, correct? He looks at you and says, <laughs> this is the presentation. We're a hardworking, tough group that sticks together. And if you help us out, we can consider you part of the clan. I just fist, bust, mm -hmm. I just fist bump him right there. He fist bumps you back. No, but no presentation, no audio presentation, no PowerPoint. Yeah, no, there's no, there's no big presentation. There's nothing fancy. It's literally you guys sitting over a cup of coffee in the galley talking about no, no tchotchkes with the hard scrabble logo on them. Yeah, there's no fancy handouts. It's basically a loose confederation of ships and families trying to mine out a living. And they're just looking out for some money to help the families of the victims. Did the coffee mugs say world's greatest captain? The coffee mugs are beat up metal. World's hardest working miner. Yeah. Mo's going to push himself away from the uh, table. And he says, <laughs> I'm sorry. There's nothing I can help you with here. Uh, thank you very much uh, for your, well, we'll call it a presentation for now. Well, you have to keep an open mind, though. You know, because uh, both sides have legitimate claims, it seems. We have to make a little on-site investigation first. I know what I see. And he does not There's see donuts. No presentation. That's, I think, where we're at. No donuts, no presentation. Well, we're, not, we're <laughs> ultimately not he's the leaving. deciders. We're just the investigators. Yeah, he's so. leaving. Exactly. <laughs> we can at least absolve ourselves of any responsibility. Yeah, he's, I, I, I've, left, I've left the room. I'm going to wait in the uh, by the shuttle. <laughs> Excellent. I All give right. the captain a hearty handshake. I like this guy. He says, excellent, excellent. He's like, I will send you a map schematic of that Acheron to help you better investigate. And if you do find any members that are still alive, please let us know right away so that we can get them back. From what we can tell, all information from the Akron has been cut off. We do not know if anyone is alive or dead, but what we've heard is that came back completely empty and is now just adrift in space. Well, we will definitely keep you uh, appraised of what is going on, and if we find anyone, yes, most certainly we will seek medical attention and get them back to safety. T Tuttle looks around for like a hand sanitizer station. <laughs> Probably isn't one of this. It's like an eyewash station. That's funny that the rat is... The rat wants to be clean. You're like an oxymoron. All right. Anything else you wish to talk to 
with the Hard Scrabble Collective. We might want to just briefly talk to these tw- the twenty one. What are they called? The Downside Twenty One or what's that? What? No, the Downside level King. 20, level level twenty one. Yeah, level twenty one. Can we give or whatever? Yeah. Well, we have our contacts, Mama Mama Cass, or whatever her actual name is. Yeah, we should go talk to them before we leave because we actually did them a service, and they might they might be uh, appreciative of our services. If you know what I mean. He did already say he wasn't going to give us anything beyond the equipment we salvaged. Oh. When we originally took the gig. Rusty might be able to persuade them otherwise. It's possible. There might be rumors. All right. Good day, sir. We'll be in touch. Okay. Yeah. Okay. I go to the inn and I ask around for rumors. All right. Well, that's going to take you all afternoon. So are you guys done here? You take the shuttle back? Shuttle back. All right. Let me get you back to the station. Yeah, I was just telling you guys, it doesn't matter what these guys say, you know. They they don't they don't stay to their agreements, you know. I mean, you can make a deal yeah, with yeah, them; they're going to break the like deal. Neither side, neither side kept the agreement, though. It sounds like. Yeah, and plus, we already know what's the name of that company again? Astral Extraction. Oh, Astral Extraction. We know that they're shady. I mean, they you know, they hired people to basically kill us when we first landed on the station. Uh, do we know that? We do know. There that. was pretty compelling evidence on the data pad. Right, but do we know that? Yes. But do we know that? Uh, yes. Uh, you, yes. You know that. Do. Let's just say yes. We do know that. So already that's a strike against them. But, you know, I mean, we lived and money talks. So there is that. Yeah. They, you live and learn, you know. Right. People, everyone makes mistakes. Let's just see who has uh, the most. I mean, I definitely want some eye implants, so I need some money. Definitely. Um. Well, yeah, I mean, I don't know. I, I would like to go to the 21 and just see if, what their input, if they have anything else to say to us, and then basically go. All right, Mo will tag along. He's not for splitting the party, so. Do you guys want to come with? Yeah. Sure. Yeah, sure. All right, so we, we go back to our to that restaurant. All right, you're back in Mama Fats. Yeah, Mama Fats. On level 21. Mama Cass. <laughs> Let's have lunch. Okay. So you enter, and sure, there's Mama. She recognizes you and says, Ah, you made it. Is everyone alive and intact? You still all got your body parts? Uh, yeah, yeah. Uh, more or less. It was touch yeah. and go for me for a little while there. We spent a lot of money on medical supplies and ammunition, and we lost our robot it was very expensive oh so expensive that, yeah that. i hear you it ain't cheap running a restaurant either honey that's true i could sell you food if you'd like very good price <gasps> oh yes yes uh I, we get everything Here's we need card. from uh the uh cisco. The, the cisco yes you're, you're mean <laughs> space, yeah, space cisco, space cisco. <laughs> And we like we also go to Restaurant Depot quite a bit. Oh yeah, yeah, I'm sure. Yeah, I'm, I'm never eating here then, <laughs> knowing that. But uh, so we just were hoping to get in contact. And I will actually do this because there's is there anyone else in here like other customers and stuff? Oh, yeah, there's a couple, but she's right. talking to you. So I will telepathically tell her. Um, so we you know we 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 did a, a, a good service in removing the downside kings. We wanted to, to talk to our contact at the, at the 21 level 21. She's like. Mm. Come back around dinner time, and I'll see what I can do. Okay. I say, all right, boys, I think we should come back around dinner time. I think we should stay till dinner time. You, you just want to eat for the next six hours. We time. could go hit the bar across the street. Yeah, I could yeah. use a drink. Yeah, do that. Rumors are I think too. Rusty is an alcoholic, I think. 
No, no, I could stop anytime I want. But why would I want? <laughs> exactly. Yeah. Uh, all right, I'll tag on wherever you guys want to go. All right, I say we sort of, you know, hang out and go to the bar and wait until dinner time and come back. Okay. Go to the bar, hang out. You doing anything in the bar? Or are you just drinking? Playing darts. Playing darts. Uh, I'll gather information for the afternoon and just get a roll and not learn anything. But then I'll claim I did something. Excellent. Is it space darts? Yes. You have to make a strength roll to hit instead of a dex roll. That's right. That's right. That's that's the difference. If it was Pathfinder, it'd be dex. If it's Starfinder, it's strength. Weird, but true. All right. Roll for diplomacy or intimidate. Either one. Oh, Which okay. Feels better. Uh, diplomacy. What the hell? I was going to watch. Plus nine to my roll. So 13 because I rolled a four. You, you don't learn anything now that yep. you don't know already. Um, All right. Do you guys get drunk? Might, uh, tr- he's going to try to imitate. No, Mo's going to. No. Tu- Tuttle's actually going to review the contract or the terms of the contract. There you go. To do his homework. There you go. Very good. Okay. Tuttle, very interesting. So you go through the contract. Sure enough, the contract says very clearly that Astral Extractions hired the Acheron and the Hard Scrabble to basically investigate and look for new rights and claims for unclaimed planets and discoveries for mining purposes. They would then come back and give those findings to Astral Extractions. That's all it says. It doesn't say anything about what they might have picked up during the actual investigation. So the odd thing is they obviously found some huge rock and brought it back with them on the ship. On top of that, everyone in the ship appears to be dead. So it can very easily be interpreted by the letter of the law either way. It can either be astral extractions does have ownership of this rock because it came from investigating, but it also can go the other way because it doesn't actually say anything about well, salvage rights and who owns the salvage rights to anything they find while they're out there. It only the initial report is all they were paying for, theoretically. Exactly. They were only paying for reports and information, not actual salvage. So both sides are strangely correct, and it's really can go either way. And we also learned that Astral Extractions is willing to to draw up foolish contracts. So that is something that we pocket as well. Keep in mind, it could also be that Astral Extractions, from what you can see, they're interested in big big picture. Like, they're looking for entire planets and asteroid belts and large items that they can mine. They weren't thinking of a small rock or something. Now, obviously, this rock, if they brought it back, must have some crazy value. From what you can know and tell, a rock this size... Even if it was like a very large asteroid, how much could actually be on it compared to planets? So why are they so interested in this? Why are both sides so interested in this? It could just be a wild goose chase that both sides just think it's valuable because everyone came back dead. And obviously they went through a lot of effort to bring it back. So it could be that this is worth nothing and they're just both assuming it's worth something. Now, to Astral Extractions, this rock is nothing more than a few more pennies on their, you know, trillion dollar, trillion credit sheet. 
for hard scrabble if it's true they were just hired for a very nominal fee they don't have any you know additional money being paid for anyone dying or even loss of the ship that was all assumed within the contract so if everyone did die that hopefully this extra money from this asteroid it could be something that maybe most of the crew died while they were out there looking for things and they brought back the asteroid to have money you know from their losses to get something from their losses it could be something is awesome on that asteroid it could be who the heck knows it's a mystery interesting so, just to recap who gave us the contract where did we get that from from the undead nor gave it to you okay nor gave it to okay did he give us anything else as uh, any other intel other than the little robot who's been following you around recording everything you've been doing to date including this meeting you can't turn it off oh, right i kind of forgot this guy right he's been uh, following I'm... you including this by the way and you have no way to turn it off or disable it in any way mo is has watched um Rusty make his flop on uh, trying to get information from people. And he's going to be asking the same questions, but he's going to be using Intimidate to do so. So he's going to make that roll right now. 14. Ooh, what do I learn? Nothing. Nothing new. All right. You guys already had extremely successful rolls. Well, right. But still, as I said, I'd, we had an afternoon to kill. Okay, I'll make a roll. That's all. In addition, you do get the blueprint of the Acheron, which I will send to you shortly. That's good. So there is what the Acheron looks like. It's quite mm -hmm. a large ship. Many rooms, many areas. It looks like it can easily hold a good, what's that, like 15, 20 people if they sleep in shifts. I was so expecting to see a ship from Iron Gods. Yeah. All right. Um, well, cool. So we're going to be hanging out till supper time. So uh, we hang on, head over to uh, Mama Fats again. Okay. One thing, one thing I'm wondering about is, um, you know, just sitting here thinking, is uh, I wonder about radiation, right? Maybe this rock is radioactive. Maybe that's what killed the crew. Maybe. Like, we might need something like a Geiger counter. Do these things, they, they, must, they must exist, right? That oh. check, check Cheddar. Yeah, cheddar radiation. has to have a Geiger counter on him, doesn't he? Not really. He... I, there may be there may be feats I could take later, but not right now. He's just kind of a combat drone. I mean, there's spells that allow you to detect radiation. I'm sure. I'm there's guessing there's technology. A, there yeah, there's got to be well. a device. I'm looking it up right now. Maybe I can go buy something. Yeah, I too. I don't see anything. I'm sure there is if you want to look it up. Anyhow, it gets to dinner time, and you guys can go back to Mama Fats. Oh, good. We do. I ordered the gah. <laughs> really? <laughs> is it alive though? It's alive. Yeah, do you want live gawk or dead gawk? Live. And uh, could I get a slusho with that? Yes. <laughs> sure. I thought prune juice, no? I I'm looking at her menu. We had that from before. I had the Soylent Yellow last time we were here, and I decided to expand. Slusho, you can't drink just six. That's their slogan. So in the corner, you see Jabax sitting there. He motions over to you and invites you to sit with him. Oh, yes. Where is he in that back room? Well, that's fun. Yeah, he's like all the way in the back. His, his back in the corner of the room so no one can sneak up on him. Oh, this guy right here? The rat in the back. Yeah, actually, I know you guys are... Uh, well, while we're doing this, I, uh, Mo is checking out Geiger Counter on the uh, 
station supply list uh people are saying that in general any minor piece of equipment in the real world like an alarm clock camera digital keys uh timer watch can be can be purchased with the gm's uh approval uh costing uh five credits and has light bulk uh someone pointed out that pathfinder has a uh something equivalent all right no that's cool that's excellent that's actually excellent because there's yeah. so much in this world there's no way they can put it everything in the book so sure geiger counter five credits it could be anything you want it could be a little thing that you wear in your on your spacesuit that turns a color you can be handheld it can be uh however you want to do it right okay so we're gonna i guess yeah Put put a Geiger counter on. Yeah, uh, I'll buy one. Of yeah, Mo is also going to buy one. I think it's good to be redundant in this case because you might split up. So right, or you might drop. Yeah. Okay. Uh, you guys go. That's easy to find. You get the Geiger counters. You have them on your perp on your person. They will go off. You can set it to your headset. That will go off an alarm that you'll know if you have any radiation levels, and it, you'll have no issues whatsoever. With that, though, you see your contact from the level 21 crew inviting you over to sit down. Excellent. Let's sit. Going over there to sit. Who's this? Uh, Jabaxa. Yep. It's the same Yosoki that you met before. And he seemed to have quite a spread laid out for you. Uh, nice, nice assortment of food, Mr. Mo. Very good. Aspetati. I, I've drunk up an appetite, so I'm sitting down. Everyone's feeding us. It's wonderful. I know. Well, you, you guys are liked. You guys are famous. He comes up, and as soon as you sit down, he looks and sees the little camera over your shoulder and says, what is that? Oh, yeah, I forgot about that. Uh, we're, we're part of the Pathfinder now. They're trying to track our movements. Is it tied to one person in particular, or do we ever figure that out, or...? It is sort of following all of you around. If you split up, you might be able to deceive it, but then only some of you can meet with him. Can we turn it off? No. Oh. Does it think Cheddar is like its big brother? It's following you all around, and it also seems to be able to record in 360 degrees from what the mechanic can tell, Mr. Tuttle. You know of this camera type, and there's no way to turn it off. It is continuously broadcasting. It's quite difficult to destroy, and it sees and everything, and it also records in multiple bandwidths. It's like having a little sister tagging behind you. Yeah, I mean, it records infrared, ultraviolet, everything, you name it. It's like Predator Vision at 360. Well, I do I do use my tele telepathy to him. I say, oh, well, yeah, I forgot about that camera, but um, we don't really want to take too much of your time. You know, if you prefer, like, we just were curious if what the uh, fallout, if any, was from our uh, raid on the Downside Kings. So he also thinks of you using telepathy since you guys can communicate. He goes, that's why I always liked you fellows. You're very resourceful. You get things done, such as how to avoid a security system, such as that little pet you have. Yeah, I'm not happy that I can't turn it off, believe me. He says, well, I'm glad you met Let's just have a little feast, and let's just say your work was much appreciated. With this following you around, I dare not give you anything overt right now, but here is a little gift, and he hands you four metallic cards, similar to the ones that you found the, from 
um, Daravol Creel's underwear drawer that have the level 21 cruise symbol on both sides. Ah, excellent. Are we honorary members now? No, but if you ever need help or some other assistance, you just call in those markers and we will do what we can. Excellent. Wow. That's good. But with that, let's eat. And he starts yeah. talking normally and says, friends, friends, let's have a big feast before your great adventure. Om nom nom. And we do. And with that, you feast. And the tomorrow, you will go on the adventure and we'll continue the rest of this podcast. I want to now. You always do. But we <laughs> must finish. You must finish and digesting. You guys have been eating all day. I know, eating and drinking all day. Yeah, the the awesome. theme of this episode, eating. It's been a good and episode. And Instead of man versus food, it's Vesk versus food. Yes. Yeah. I think the Vesk is going to win in the long run. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Given enough time. Hey, everyone. Steven Glicker here once again. Hope you guys all enjoyed that show. Next week, we have more craziness as the boys actually get into outer space. For now, we have part two of my interview with Eric Mona, publisher of Paizo. I will note there's a little bit of salty language in this. We try to keep the show fairly clean, and we've done a pretty good job so far. However, Eric does curse a little bit, and I just kept it in. So I do want to note that if you're listening with little kids or are easily offended, it's not too often. I think once or twice at most. Otherwise, enjoy the interview. So let me ask you a few more questions, yeah. and we'll wrap it up. But the other one I wanted to ask you, so I play a lot of games, Yeah. yet... You have role-playing games, which is literally people sitting around telling a story and rolling dice. I have never in my life had bigger fights than around a role-playing table. I'd say probably the top five biggest fights in my entire life have easily been during a game of D&D or Pathfinder, by far. Why? What is going on? Why do we do this? I see you smiling. You have to agree. Everyone I've ever spoke to has always agreed. This has happened to everybody. I mean, I, I, I kind of agree, but I but let me turn it on its head a little okay. bit. Because I would also say that some of the times where I've laughed the hardest in my life You're has been at the game table. Right. Oh, yeah, yeah, and yeah. So I think what it is... I think it has to do with the connection to the story, to the characters. You're you're putting yourself in the mix, and and I you know I another thing, if I can tangent for just a second, one of the yeah. things I've been thinking about a lot lately is just the rise of actual play, you know, podcasts or Twitch streams, and like, why is it that people? care about this because for the longest time you'd sort of think okay an rpg is something that's tremendously fun to play but it is so boring to watch and it's even kind of boring to listen to i think that's just been the kind of the received wisdom but it turns out that that's not really the case at all the people's emotional connection to some of these podcasts to things like critical role or glass cannon or your fans they're connecting with you guys on a level that is i think more powerful than watching a TV show or something like that. And so if you kind of apply how that connection is, not just from someone observing the play, but actually in the play, you know, I get so nervous sometimes in a big combat, like I can't sit, you know, I'll stand up and I'll pace around. And I don't feel, and everybody's different, but I don't feel that way 
generally speaking, even when I'm playing a really co uh, uh, tactically complex board game or a miniature game, I, for me, RPG is just like tap something inside of you that connects you to the common storytelling that you're all doing together. And it's unpredictable, which I think adds another layer of just like immersion that um, it's unlike anything else. And so because of that, the kind of the negative part of that, you know, the arguing, you know, the idea, oh, I, I know the rules better than you, that kind of a thing, it, 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 it comes from the heart, you know, and the heart is what's connected to the, to the story. But in the same way, it's like some of my best friends in my life are people that I met around a game table. And some of the strongest relationships I have are with people, you know, who I've gamed with. And, and again, the, the, the number of times I've laughed so hard that I'm crying, I've, I, that's happened at the game table way more than it's happened at live comedy shows, at watching movies, TV. So I just think the emotional connection is what we're talking about here. And I think that RPGs, I mean, I, I can't think of something that has that connection in yeah. the same way. So I, something, not something recreational. I actually think, I was thinking about this a lot when I was even driving here. I actually think it's kind of in our DNA it's kind of just in our genetic makeup because think about it like humans have been storytellers yep. since the beginning and this is just another way to tell stories right. that's now really starting to get into the mainstream right. like when i was a kid you know i'm old enough i played first edition yeah. i remember when the whole dnd &D thing came about right. and it was you know part of my childhood and now we're up to the second generation and it's starting to really explode well and i mean and, and look it exploded huge in like 83, oh, it was 84, everywhere. it had a cartoon. Everywhere. It was like a Cabbage Patch Kid level fad for like a couple of years, yeah. you know? And I and that corresponds with when I came in, you know, mm -hmm. early 80s. And so, you know, it, it, it plugged into something even then, you know, right. that I think people craved. And I do think that that oral tradition storytelling element is a big part of it. And I think if you look at just how humans play in general. You know, you think of things like cops and robbers and like kids role play, they don't need rule books to do it. You know, I remember when I was in kindergarten playing Batman and Robin or Han and Luke, you know, it's like kids do this. And RPGs give the structure and the rules that make it a little more respectable for adults to do it or, you know, older kids. And it's just, you can't pull it out of people. They want to pretend. So with that also, I was reading recently about how popular role-playing games are in prisons. Yeah, yeah. Do you, do you guys get a lot oh, of those? Oh, for real. Oh my God, yes. Like, uh, tell me some stories. I'd love to hear Okay, that. so <laughs> most of my prison stories actually, that's a hilarious thing to say. Like, most oh, of my prison Tell me stories, about your prison let stories. Let me tell you my prison stories. Um, back in the day when I was editing Dragon and Dungeon magazine, it was really apparent because uh, I started working in uh, in the periodicals department in really around 1999, and then eventually transitioned into Paizo in 2002. Wizards spun off their whole magazine department. That's what became Paizo. And during that time, you really saw the impact of the culture's transition from snail mail to electronic communications. And so by the time I became editor-in-chief of Dungeon, almost all the physical letters we would get, and we would get a lot of them, were from prisoners, from incarcerated people, because they don't have access to the internet, you know, and so they're still handwriting letters or typing letters and things. And so, you know, I changed the name of the letter column in Dungeon to Prison Mail, 
because literally all of the letters we got were from prisoners. And uh, and so, yeah, you know, these guys, one of the things we've said is, uh, you know, where, and I think this is changing a little bit demographically as well, but like back in the day, you know, it's like wherever there are large numbers of young men with more time on their hands than, you know, things to do, RPGs are very, very popular. So you see RPGs very popular in the military, very popular uh, in prisons, very popular in uh, high schools and, you know, um, and, uh, and one of the things that's very, like on nuclear submarines, where people are underwater for weeks and weeks at a time, they're throwing dice, a lot of them, you know? And so it's just very, very interesting. And I, I always, you know, it's tough because sometimes you'll look, you'll get these letters from people and you'll look into it and you'll say, I was always like, I'm always just, you know, from Seattle and everything. And I'm always like, oh, this guy probably just got busted with weed and, and he's not really a villain, you know? I'm, you know, and they always wanted something. They, all their letters were like, I love what you're doing, but can you send me this rule book for free or whatever? And so, you know, I, every once in a while I'd say, you know, I'm going to be a Santa Claus and send them these books because we had so many copies of the various books. And every once in a while I'd look into kind of, let's make sure this person I'm making a personal connection with is, you know, not going to bite me in the, you know, in the behind and in the long term. And, and many of them are really bad dudes. You know, I mean, many of them really are in prison for a reason. And um, so that's a little bit weird, you know, but they, they have nothing to do, you know, and this means so much to them. One of my prized possessions actually is a set of homemade contraband prison polyhedral dice that a guy made out of like cut up cardboard and like I think human spit I mean it was like crazy so I have this like contraband prison dice set which is you use it I've I've used it before yeah (laughs) Um, you know I did say that it's made it part of human spit so I didn't use it a lot but it's just kind of an artifact that I have and it's very cool but um, yeah I don't know you think they play it on the International Space Station I think that would be really awesome. That would be, that's what I'm saying. You know, we we tried to, uh, we've said that we've got Pathfinder Society going in six of the seven continents because we haven't yet got a game day going on in Antarctica. We've got a couple of options there that we might try to explore, but the idea then, if we can do that, then the next thing to conquer, of course, is outer space. For people to play Starfinder, for example, on the International Space Station, wow. Wow. That'd be exciting. You, you know, got- we're right across in in, uh, in Redmond, uh, Washington, where our offices are. We're, like, literally across the street from SpaceX. You know, we, like, want to, like, make nerd care packages and bring them over there and stuff, so. So, uh, earlier I said to you, before we started recording, I said, actually, I was very excited to talk to you. So, yeah. the reason why... A few weeks ago, I did a segment where I was talking about low-level adventures and how they're structured because we're doing Dead Suns and it's level one. And I was saying how there's like usually a straight dungeon crawl or there's an investigation, which seems to be very popular now because it's not so easy to kill a character. It gives them experience, teaches them the world, various reasons. And then I went through my top three favorite low-level adventures of all time. And I said, the number one adventure, and I didn't know I was meeting you, <laughs> of all time, yeah. by a mile, was The Whispering Karn yeah, by one. Eric Mona himself, yeah. of the greatest adventure path ever, by the way. The Age of Worms Thank you. blows away all the other ones. Thank that you. thing was a monster. Yeah. So you got. You should have t- seen the original outline. It was going to be twenty adventures, the, the originally, and then Chris Perkins was like, "Dude, you can't do 20. And I'm like, "Yeah, you're right." You know? Twenty adventures. Yeah, yeah. it's going to be twenty. Back adventures. in the day. Yeah. So tell me anything, because that I love that adventure. It just has like 
everything. It has a beautiful dungeon. It has lots of weird stuff. You go like underwater. Yep. It's got swarms. Yep. It has a murder mystery. It has like everything. And it's only two levels. Yeah, it, um, man, you know, I wrote the, with some help from James Jacobs, I wrote the, the outline for Age of Worms. And Age of Worms was really kind of really the adventure I wanted. I mean, that was the thing I was kind of, of all the sort of secret Greyhawk stuff I was doing, sort of behind the scenes at Wizards at the time, the Age of Worms was kind of the payoff, you know? And so I, I really wanted to do it right. And I thought about a lot of the adventures that I most enjoyed playing, um, and almost all of them had certain things that were similar. So I'm thinking specifically of like the Village of Hamlet or the, uh, the Sinister Secret of Salt Marsh. You know, these are like small communities with a dungeon nearby. And I'm really a fan of that old first edition, like go as far as you can and then get the hell out and making multiple forays into the dungeon. So I wanted to have a really vibrant and exciting community where the characters were based. I also wanted to make that community enough of kind of a shithole that you would want to leave it eventually. And that's actually one of the criticisms that I got from Age of Worms is people just never wanted to leave Diamond Lake. They really liked that setting. So it gets burned down later. <laughs> right? So, um, so that was important to have that sort of village dungeon combo. And then I started thinking a lot about those forays and like going in and out of the dungeon. And I was trying to think of like, how can I, because I think that a lot of third edition, I think one of the flaws maybe of the design philosophy of third edition was if you did it strictly by the rules, you would know, oh, well, I'm fourth level and all the monsters that I'm going to fight are going to be within a couple of CRs of me. I don't need to worry over much because I'm going to do four, you know, four encounters and then I'm good to, you know, like it's just kind of almost too balanced. And so I, I was afraid that people were just gonna try and like go from the front door to the back end of the dungeon in one push. And I put enough in there that I knew that that was, like you were gonna be tapped out by the end if you did that. So I, I was like, how can I hard code some ways to go back and forth? And so that's where some of the mystery elements came out. Um, that's, you know, there literally are things that you have to leave the dungeon in order to proceed. Um, so yeah, that was all part of the design kind of from the ground up. Yeah, I mean, Age of Worms, it's funny, you must have taken, you probably took the rule of cool and said, we're gonna like go up to 11 on this one, because I'm just going off the top of my head. So you have a great dungeon, you fight Lizardmen, you go to the city of Greyhawk, you're literally in the Tournament of Champions, you get secretly someone possessed by a doppelganger, you fight Mind Flayers, you get the Rod of Seven Parts, yep. you get the Hand of Vecna, yeah. you meet Tensor, yeah. I, like, and then you fight a god and the Dracolith. Yeah. It's like every Dragotha himself. Dragotha, yeah. 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 Uh, you fight every single nasty like thing, every single thing you ever wanted in one D&D adventure in one adventure. Well, it's everything I ever wanted in right. one D&D adventure. And I think, you know, honestly, um, I don't know if enough time has passed to tell the whole story, but one day I'll tell the whole story. But, it, 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 you know, I, I started as a Greyhawk fan. I mean, that's how I kind of got into this. And I, I then was brought on to kind of be a consultant on some of the Greyhawk stuff. Uh, and then eventually was hired to be in charge of Living Greyhawk. And 
um, talking to Lisa Stevens, who is the brand manager for Greyhawk at the time and is now my boss as the owner of Paizo, um, you know, she was a Greyhawk fan as well. And, and, and living Greyhawk was going to be a huge part and, and ultimately was a huge part of the rollout of third edition D&D. Um, and so I got hired to, uh, around the same time I was hired to work uh, as the editor of Polyhedron Magazine and Living Greyhawk Journal and run Living Greyhawk for the RPGA, um, I was also hired to write what ultimately became the Living Greyhawk Gazetteer, the big you know book that we did. And when we were talking about it, uh, with Lisa and with the kind of managers in the RPGA area, it was like, yeah, this is a key part of the third edition strategy, Greyhawk's the core world, and I'm like so excited and happy about that. But like very soon after coming to Wizards, it was totally clear to me that not only was the idea of like Greyhawk as the core world a hugely political thing that hurt a lot of people's feelings, like, you know, the people working on Forgotten Realms at the time, and they just wrapped up Planescape and Ravenloft and Birthright, they'd canceled a bunch of campaign sets. And so there was a tremendous amount of resentment on staff about Greyhawk in general. And then I come in, and as I'm being introduced to all the staff, people are like, what are you doing? And I'm like, oh, I'm doing Living Greyhawk. And they all knew about that campaign, but then I'd be like, oh, and I'm writing this Living Greyhawk book. And it soon became clear to me as I was going through the office that most, if not maybe all, of the non-management people didn't know they were even doing a Greyhawk book. And so I really felt like the first year or so of my career at Wizards was swimming against the current with people who were trying everything they could for political reasons to destroy that book, the Living Greyhawk book. And furthermore, so you'll you'll note that like they also at the same time we did Living Greyhawk, there was like a D&D gazetteer that was like almost completely stripped down, no continuity, no nothing. I think that the people who were in charge of D&D on the creative level at the time viewed continuity as an enemy, as something that just like added burden to their overworked staff. And so what they wanted out of Greyhawk was like the Greyhawk that you saw in like the first edition rule books, which is like, yeah, there's a setting and we're gonna pull some nouns here and there, but really it's your own thing and there is no there there. Because none of them paid attention to Greyhawk. Greyhawk, after Gygax left, was like nothing for TSR. It was something that they published half-heartedly for a few years and then they, they didn't really do much with. And so meanwhile, I'm in love with it. I know literally everything there is to know at the time. And like, I guess I literally wrote the book on it, right? <laughs> and so the, the, the impulse that I was getting from the senior creative staff was like, Greyhawk is just this fraud we're pulling on people. You know, it's like, we're not really trying to do Greyhawk. We're trying to just kind of have our cake and eat it too. And I'm like, I can't do that. You know, just like morally, I can't do that. But literally, I can't do that because I'm not going to introduce continuity errors when I know the whole thing like the back of my hand. So I had this real sense. And look, I'm 25, 26 years old at the time, the youngest person on staff there. I feel like I have something to prove, and I feel like I'm swimming against the current on a lot of stuff. And so I'm like, you guys have no idea what the value of your intellectual property is. They knew what the value of Dark Sun was. They knew what the value of Forgotten Realms was. But I felt really strongly that they didn't know what the value of Dungeons and Dragons was insofar as the kind of core setting imp implications of things like the alignment system and the magic items and the, if you have a hand of Vecna, it's important to know who Vecna is, you know? And I knew all that stuff. So when I'm building the outline for this adventure path, I'm like, I'm gonna show you guys what you don't know you have, essentially. 
And so I turned in that outline and one of the responses that I got was, of course, you know, it's too Greyhawk, you know, like tone it down. You know, the, no one wants this continuity out of this. They just want words, you know, they don't want meaning. And I was like, well, I think that's bullshit. So I edited down the, you know, the, um, the uh, outline. And that's when, you know, Tensor changes to Manziri and the Magician. And the free, it's not Greyhawk, it's the free city. And so then I was able to sort of genericize things to the degree that allowed me to publish that AP. But by the time we got into like the Prince of Red Hand and stuff, it's like, come on, no one's paying attention anyway. Uh, our approval meetings at Wizards were just like a formality, you know, they trusted us, we trusted them. So, you know, and so basically I snuck a lot of that shit in because I, I wanted to and because I couldn't not, you know, it's like that's where my brain goes. And so I think that so many people, a lot of that stuff resonated with them. Frankly, I think just because they, I'm a nerd too and, you know, we had the same interests. And so, yeah, you know, and, and then James added some of this stuff because he's of a similar vintage and a similar, you know, um, he's simpatico with me creatively on a lot of stuff. And so yeah, that's kind of the, that's three quarters of the story, you know, that's, that's all I'm lot. comfortable telling today. No, that's, but there that's was some lot. internal stuff that just kind of made me feel like an outsider and made me feel like I had something to prove. And so that all went into trying to make Age of Worms so spectacular. And then just another sort of corollary to that is um, by the time uh, we were working on Expedition to the Ruins of Greyhawk, which is another adventure that was largely written by Paizo, it was me, James Jacobs, and Jason Volman wrote that adventure. Um, I knew at that point, and I think Jason and James knew, I'm not 100% sure, that Wizards was not going to renew the Dragon and Dungeon licenses because they wanted to do their D&D um, Insider subscription program. And so I was pretty confident, and thus far it's proven to be the case, I was pretty confident that Expedition to the Ruins of Greyhawk was going to be the final official D&D thing I probably ever worked on. And so there again, it was like, I got something to prove and how do I make this the best? And, you know, and, and that's partly why we kind of recast the city of Greyhawk a little bit in that. And, and, and really all of us just wanted to bring our A game because we just figured we were going to be blackballed for the rest of our lives because um, something was going on politically between the companies. We didn't really know what, but they that was the beginning of the alienation period where it was clear that we viewed our relationship with Wizards as a lot more important than Wizards viewed their relationship with us. And so it was like, well, we seem like we're getting frozen out here, so let's make this the best we can possibly make it. Yeah, I never understood. I mean, I'm not going to badmouth Wizards. Well, you no, probably neither. won't either. But it seemed like the strangest thing. It's like you have a third-party company that's literally writing rules and adventures for you. You then fire them. It's like, okay, you literally have the best people creating the best content. And now they'll go form their own company. I think that, I think, well, two things. I mean, just to be totally fair, they didn't fire us. They just didn't renew the license. True. And in fact, okay, they were really true. cool. They extended the license by six months so that we were allowed to finish Savage Tide. Right. And that was kind of the same thing. I kind of used the same line on them that I did on Lisa about Rise of the Rune Lords, which I'm like, you guys, if we don't finish this, forever people are going to want to know how it ends. And they understood the, the wisdom in that. So, so it was amicable, but it, there was this weird cloud over it. And, and actually, it's, it's so long ago now, you know, it's hard to remember exactly the, the cadence of events. But we were still on really friendly terms with them, even as they were closing down the magazine. And the assumption was always that, like, oh, you guys are going to be one of the first to see 4th edition, and we really want you to support the game, and the, the licensing arrangement's going to be even more open than the current one. And all that just turned into 
bullshit by the end, you know, and, and I don't know what was going on internally there. I think what happened was when we put out the, the Shackled City hardcover collection, I think some of the business managers at Wizards were like, why are we letting a licensee compete directly with us. So every dollar spent on a Shackled City book is a dollar that wasn't spent on an official D&D adventure. And I think they maybe just got sick of the sort of, that they felt like we were competing with them. And then ironically made a bunch of choices that resulted in us directly competing with them for a decade. So um, it is it is what it is. So yeah, I'm just saying, if anyone has not read, even if you're never going to play it, you at least should go and get The Age of Worms just as a read. It's fantastic, especially if you're an old school player. And there's very large forum threads on the Paizo boards of converting Age of Worms to Pathfinder. There's a lot of people who have done it. Yep. It's funny, actually, now that I'm bringing back all these horrible memories, the... Um, <laughs> So we had initially pitched three books to do with Wizards. Well, the first was the uh, the Shackle City hardcover, which we did, and it was popular. And the next one was the Dragon Compendium, which was like updating a bunch of classic dragon material to third edition. And then the third thing was going to be a hardcover Age of Worms anthology. And it was their dragging their heels on approval for that that was really my first canary in the coal mine that something was a miss with our relationship so I would love to have that I mean I, I think they should still do it honestly. I just uh, well you guys can uh, do we your, can't do it it's no I know you can't us, but so. you can do your Pathfinder version of Age of Worms or is the new Adventure Path uh, that's coming out after the current one is that kind of like it's almost um, like that's War for the Crown is this so oh, we're, yeah, no. we're on Ruins of Aslant right now which is the kind of exploring the sunken continent yeah, campaign yeah, yeah, yeah. and then we're on uh, after that is War for the Crown which is espionage and, right. and political skullduggery and things and then after that's Return of the Rune Lords so it's that's like a the one that's what I meant Return of the, the right yeah. it's, that's what I was thinking Return yeah. of the Rune Lords is that going to be like your um, the rule of cool times two. Well, it's James Jacobs going back to the to, to Varicia and to you know it's like the whole rise of the Rune Lords was about what happens when one Rune Lord comes back from the uh, from the dead, and uh, this is what happens when the rest of them come back. You know, and so it's going to be a little world changing. It's going to be really fun and exciting. And I've read the outline and it's pretty awesome. It starts with a bang. The rule of cool will be in effect. All right. Well, I, I literally can spend hours talking to you, right. so why don't we do another one in the future? Sounds good. And we'll just wrap this one up. All right. Thanks a lot, Eric. Hey, it's been great talking to you, Stephen, and, you know, uh, looking forward to listening to the podcast. Oh, actually, i got to get you on the podcast. Yeah, hey, I'll do that, too. Because that way we can get a skittermander for our... Uh, Indeed. I'll start working right. on my skittermander voice. That's right. So it's everyone's favorite time of week where we announce this week's winner, where all you need to do is review the show on iTunes, Stitcher, or Facebook, and then email us with the name of your review or some of the contents so that we can look it up and verify your review. And that's it. And then I randomly select your name. And next week is the huge grand prize where we're giving out hundreds of dollars of Amazon gift cards and t-shirts and a whole bunch of other things. And I think I'm going to throw in some extra prizes that I got from some people at PAX as well. So make sure you enter. Make sure you tell your friends to enter. I know that sounds weird, but the more people that enter, the more prizes they give out. Because we got so many entries, I actually increased the number of prizes. So with that, let's pick someone completely at random. So the person who won this week 
he did an iTunes review, and his name is Zen of Combat. That is a really cool name. And congratulations, Zen. His real name is James. You have won. All you need to do is write me here at Roll for Combat, and I will tell you what you need to do to get your Amazon gift card. This week it's for 25 bucks. So once again, tell your friends. The more people that enter, the more prizes I'm going to add to the prize pool. I think there was originally three grand prizes. I'm not looking at the page right now. I'm actually going up to six. Six prizes. We get more people, I can add more prizes. So get all your friends to enter. Make sure they review the show. Tell your friends about the show. They can also start at episode nine, don't forget. They don't have to start all the way at episode one. I think we actually get better. We get a little more comfortable as we get into this. People are learning their characters. We're learning the system. And they can jump right into episode nine and not lose anything. We have the recap. And then they can go back whenever they want and listen to episodes one through eight. I do that all the time, and we're going to make it so it's really easy for people can just jump right in the middle and not have to listen to 10, 20, 30, 50 hours of previous episodes if they don't want to. So hope you guys all enjoyed this week's show. Hope you all had a good holiday. We will be back next week with the big, big prize. Otherwise, I'll talk to you then. You've been listening to Roll for Combat, a Starfinder actual play podcast. If you have a question or comment for the show, please visit us at RollForCombat.com or drop us a line at contact at RollForCombat.com. You can also find us on Twitter, Facebook, Discord, and other social media platforms. listening to Roll for Combat. Until next week, always remember, Starfinder mimics our alien shapeshifters, our zombies are caused by viruses instead of dark forces, and our magic can be explained as sufficiently advanced technology.